Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Titus O'Reilly here with a bit of a sad update. We were going to have Fine Cotton Part 2 today, but uh, unfortunately our lawyers wanted to look at it. I guess me accusing Mick Malloy of being the mastermind behind it ruffled a few feathers behind the scenes. And uh, given lawyers don't really work quickly, given it's an hourly rate, so why do it fast at all? They're going to need it for a little while. I don't think it's going to change it too much, but we will see. Uh, So in the interim, we're going to skip ahead a week to our next episode because I didn't want everyone to go without for a week. And so we're going to go to one of the great characters of sport of all time, someone you probably haven't heard of, but it's well worth it. Uh, It's Frank Worthington, and then we should be back uh, with Fine Cotton Part 2 very soon. So uh, apologies for that, but uh, we will press ahead and we will be back to normal programming very soon. It's Sports Bizarre. Some of these stories you would say, that cannot be true. I'm fine to us. The hunt for the weirdest. This is madness. It's a masterclass in how not to do things. The most airbrained (laughs) scheme I've ever heard of. Strangest. Oh, wow, you can't make this up. Things are only going to get more bonkers. (laughs) Most unbelievable. Most genius thing I've ever heard. You say evil, (laughs) I say brilliant. Stories to ever occur. An unparalleled array of deadbeats. (laughs) A mecca for colourful characters. In the world of sport. Had a taste for testicle soup. Can I just stop you for a second? Don't act like you've never done this. Sports Bizarre. Opened his mouth and a sparrow flew out. (laughs) Slept face down with a compass to make sure that his head was pointing north. (laughs) He hit so many sixes into the members that they retreat him to the bar. I better lie down after that. It's time for the leaders of the hunt. It's 10 cent beer night at the ball bar. It's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Welcome back to the latest episode of Sports Bazaar, and we're coming off a cracker. We're coming off a two-parter, blockbuster, fine cotton. Feedback's been awesome. By the way, Titus O'Reilly, of course, and me, Mick Malloy. Can I just add for the listeners a bit of behind the scenes? You are wearing pants, but against my you were against legal doing advice. it. You got told by Matty Dow took one look at the picture. And Matty went, Dow is not known for his conservative views. <laughs> but he suggested <laughs> if you're watching this on YouTube. He can't use the wide shot unless, <laughs> unless I put some pants on. But I've stood my ground on the shoes. Yeah, not put shoes. So I've, I've drawn a line in the sand. Well, it's a relaxed atmosphere here. This uh, is all going to suit today's topic. Okay. Being pantless go. is oh, going to... all this, I have no idea what you're about to No, unload. I wouldn't. You asked, I wouldn't tell you. So here we go. What are you up to? So we're going to England and football slash soccer, depending yes. on what you want to call it. Depending on where you're listening. And we're going to be talking about a guy called Frank Stewart Worthington. Normally I know by this stage who you're talking about, but I've no idea who this bloke yeah, is. Yeah, no, if you're in England and of a certain vintage of the 70s, you will know this guy. Okay. Beloved footballer. But others outside won't. But one of the most rollicking tales will probably do. Here we go. So Frank was born on November 23rd, 1948 in Halifax, which is uh, West Yorkshire. And his entire family of football, his dad had been good enough, Eric had been good enough to be on Manchester United's books. Probably not ever good enough maybe to get to the top team. Yeah. But the war interrupted anyway, but could play. His mum, Alice, played for the Women's Auxiliary Air Force team during the war. So she, at the time, she played as well, which was sort of That's good genes. Good genes. And both of his older brothers would go on to be professional footballers at Halifax Town. So he came from a family that... 
all were playing soccer all the time. Yeah. He was playing against his two older brothers from a young age. It's a tough school in the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there had, how many sports stars say, I became good because I was playing against my bigger – I know Jordan did that. You, well, the chapels are my favourite. Ian Chapel, Greg Chapel, and Trevor Chapel. Yeah. They, those things used to get very, Quite very – You know, they used to be dragged inside by their mum yeah. on many occasions. Told off. Yes. <laughs> Goddamn boys. Despite all the talent in his family, early on though, Frank was the one that dazzled. Frank's skill, even as a young kid, was insane. His ability with his feet. Yeah. Juggling the ball, doing all sorts of crazy yeah. tricks, a real showman, real flair, and everyone went, "This kid's going to be something." Even like in his family, yeah. he stood out. He refused to wear shin pads. Is that right? So did George Best, who was a sort of a few years before Frank, but not they were contemporaries in many ways. For his entire career, they're, yeah, they didn't. They'd have their socks down and no shin pads. <laughs> Which, considering how violent the game was in the seventies, like begging for it, isn't yeah, it? it was like. It was more violent than now and they just didn't do it. But he had so much skill. At 14 years old, he signed with Huddersfield Town, who are in the second division, which is now called the Championship. It's one yes. below the Premier League. So he's at 14, he's signed to a top team. At 16, he's sort of in their feeder system. At 16, he turns fully professional. And at 18, he makes his debut. Okay. Now, the manager, Ian Greaves, he had seen the promise in the kid and thought this Frank... Worthington is going to be yeah. a superstar and had shown a lot of interest in developing him and everything. Yeah. And he soon learned that Frank has a lack of discipline okay. off the pitch. Not his strong suit. It's not his strong suit early on. It didn't take long for his womanizing to become okay. legendary. So he was first ever fine he received was when several girls were found in his hotel wardrobe. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> before a game, right. right? So he's before an away match. They just they bust him. Did with. he hide them there, or they were happy to be there? No. Well, they came into his party? room on this. Like he's in a hotel room before the night before an away match, and the manager knocked on the door to come in. Girls get in the wardrobe. Get in the wardrobe, and there were several. So, which is you know, <sighs> apparently they were dancers from a local club. Oh, that's good. So, and he's like eighteen. That's a wonderful story. <laughs> so he's starting off well. Great. He admitted that while he was playing at Huddersfield, he also kept a flat in Leeds, which was not too far away, the next big city, so that the club didn't know where he was at night. <laughs> so that was off the books. Like he was. Yeah, they all thought he little... lived in one place oh, and he had his secret apartment in Leeds so he could go out in all hours. And that's the like club was. Double life the... stuff, isn't it? That's yeah. Like a witness protection scheme. Yeah. That's pretty good at 18. He was figuring out what to do. The manager Ian Greaves said he used to grow tired because even though Worthington was just starting, he used to tell him how to run his training sessions, right? He'd say, <laughs> you know, we should be doing this, we should be doing that. And one day at training, he pulled Frank aside away from the group and started yelling at him, telling him he needed to be more disciplined, that he would be running the training sessions, not him and all this. He said the whole time Frank stood there keeping the ball up, so kicking the ball yes. up onto his shoulders, his head, Dropping it down onto his while foot. While he's being disciplined. While he's been doing it. He said, the whole time Frank doesn't take his eye off the manager while he's doing this. <laughs> and he said more than 50 times he does this. Oh, that's a power play. That is. 
all while listening intently and not taking like nodding along, like nodding along. But he's bouncing off his shoulder, his head, his knees, keeping it up more than fifty times. The ball never touches the ground. Fantastic. All while he's listening to this. And Grace said later, "How do you give him a telling off when he's doing that?" <laughs> so he's just way more talented. Brilliant. Than everyone else. And clearly a good-looking rooster too. You haven't addressed this. So he, and we'll get into what he wore and stuff, but he was in the 70s. He had long hair. It looked like it's been done by hairdresser. It looks like it's been blow-waved. And he's got this thin sort of moustache, handlebar moustache, but it's very stylized. So, yeah, he's a ladies' man. He's, he's Pictures a, on YouTube, everybody. Yeah, he's a, he's a rock star slash, you know, kind of soccer player and yeah. he's one of the first. George Best was sort of the first of these type of people yeah. but Worthington was a very close okay. second coming right. into this. But Greaves decides to stick with Frank. He knows he's hell-raising, he's out all night at clubs, he's doing all this stuff. He doesn't train with everyone in the same way, he does what he wants, yeah. he doesn't listen, all that sort of stuff. But he said you need a Frank Worthington in your side. What you don't need is 11 Frank Worthingtons. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, you can have one, yeah. you know, that's about it. So he sticks with him with all these shenanigans and all this. And in the 1966-67 season, Worthington repays the faith. He kicks 18 goals for the season and he helps them win Division 2 and get promoted into the First Division. So this is like... Which is Premier... The yeah. Premier League now. So he get, he got them there and yep. everyone's like... It was worth it. It was yeah. it was a painful <laughs> experience when yes. he got him. This makes Frank even more famous, right? Because he's scoring all these goals. He's flamboyant. He's exciting to watch on the field. He's got the long hair, the mustache. He wears gold chains. He's like, I get it. He's, he's an excitement he's machine. They've been promoted to the top tier, yeah. and he's the spearhead. And women loved him. And many say he was up there with George Best when it came to carousing, which is a fair wow. Claim. He's open class. He said of the time at Huddersfield that when the fame took off, I was pulling girls every night. Sometimes I'd wonder if they were with me because I was Frank Worthington, the footballer, or if they genuinely fancied me as a bloke. But I soon realised this didn't matter a damn. <laughs> Don't overthink it, bro. Don't overthink Just go with it. it. <laughs> I'm still meeting. It doesn't matter. They're still coming home with Enjoy me. I can, I can, yeah. And that sort of sums up Frank's approach yeah. to life, right? Like, let's not wallow yeah. in this. Let's just enjoy it. Eventually, despite the fact he was in Huddersfield and he was playing very well, they were relegated two years later. And by this time, Frank's just too good to be in Division 2. Right. So the decision's like uh, he can't really stay once they go down. Yes. He'd played in that time. He'd made it into England's under-23 team. And at this point, as he's sort of, they hear he's been demoted down to Division 2, the team, the most famous manager in the land at the time, which was Liverpool's Bill Shankly, which is a famous name yes. for Liverpool, was red hot on to sign him. And Liverpool were like, the, at the time, the, one of the biggest. I mean, they, they still are today, are, but at the time they were like four. huge and they were winning all the time. stuff. And so he suddenly has Bill Shankly say, I want to sign you. So this is the big time for him, right? Yep. To go to Liverpool and with the skill he had, it would have just been the perfect fit. So it's time to shine. Time to shine. It's time to go and a lot of money. Worthington, they were so keen to get him. Bill Shankly went as far as to tell the media that it, he was going to sign him. He announced that it was going to be for a club record transfer fee of £150,000, which at the time is just huge. Astronomical. Yeah, this was a record for Liverpool to ever spend on a player. And he said, all he needs to do is it's subject to a medical. Frank, seems straightforward. Frank will go on to fail this medical. <laughs> what? 
Uh, the rumor at the time was it was because he had the clap <laughs> gonorrhea. Oh boy! Now the thing is, <laughs> <laughs> which was highly believable to anyone who knew Frank, right? But does that rule you out? Is, well, well, the thing was that wasn't true. He didn't have the clap. Well, where is this coming from? The real story of how he found the medical is way better. (laughs) So at the time, prior to his medical, a few months earlier, Frank's father had passed away. And so he went and did this medical report and did the tests and everything, which Liverpool insisted on if he didn't pass it for any play, he wouldn't be. And so it came back with no problems, the medical report, except it said he's got high blood pressure. And so Shankly wasn't too worried about this and said to he put his arm around Frank and said, look, I'm, you know, I know your father's passed away recently. It's a stressful time in a young man's life. Why don't we send you off to Majorca for a week to relax? <laughs> oh, Shankly, you idiot. Rest up, catch some sun and, and do another medical when you get back. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> this turns out to be a terrible idea. <laughs> No worries, boss. (laughs) And this is all in the paper that he's going to Liverpool, right? It's a done deal. No one knows that the medical issues. So Frank gets on the plane to go to Majorca. Now, before the plane lands in Majorca, (laughs) so I think it's about a one hour and a half hour flight or something. It's not long. He'd met a woman on the plane and joined the Mile High Club. Really? So he hadn't even he hadn't uh, even got to Mallorca on this wow. rest up, get your blood pressure down. Yeah. Oxygen mask dropped from the ceiling. <laughs> um, That's the, not turbulence. It's Frank. It's Frank in the back. <laughs> the next seven days were a blur of women and drinking. <laughs> he was involved with two Swedish blondes, a night with Miss Great Britain <laughs> and another young Belgian woman. And he returns to Liverpool after his week of relaxing and his blood pressure comes back higher (laughs) than when he left. Oh, boy. (laughs) So he suddenly, the transfer's called off. They say, sorry, we don't change our uh, policy for anyone. Can't get insurance or whatever it is. Yeah, Bill Shankly was amused and sent Frank's mother flowers. Frank later conceded it was due to his living a bit too much in the fast lane. Fair call. <laughs> so Frank's now like at a loose end. Uh, he's sort of wondering what's Got going no on. Got no club. Happen. Got no club. This is when Lester come in and say, well, we're interested and we're not worried about it. We don't care about your blood pressure. Yeah, your we'll blood take pressure. You. We'll take you. And they call him and they say, we'd love to have you at our club. We're not worried about the high blood pressure. Keen, are you keen? He said, yep, not only am I keen, I'm going to settle down a bit. Good on him. That seems sensible. That seems sensible. So this proves a bit harder than what Frank thinks to settle down. To settle down. He said, when I first went to Leicester, I stayed at the Holiday Inn in St. Nicholas Circle and it was absolutely amazing. I was there for about nine months because they couldn't get me out of there. I loved it. All the stars from Bailey's Nightclub all stayed there. Now, (laughs) Bailey's Nightclub, was this nightclub that had all famous stars go through it all the time, right? right? In and Leicester. In Leicester. And he said, we got to meet these guys and they would come down and watch our games and it was reciprocal between us footballers and the stars of entertainment. The stars included Gary Glitter, <laughs> who went oh, on to... He failed a medical. He went on to have a few problems. 
uh, show waddy waddy, Slade. Slade. <laughs> Slade. <laughs> wow. So, Frank, Tommy Cooper. Tommy Cooper, Just like one that. of the great comedians. One of the great comedians. He, he failed a blood pressure test. Yeah, on stage. On stage. <laughs> if, if you don't know, it's a comedian who died, had a heart attack on, on stage. stage. What a way to go. People thought he was, it was a prank. I got my money on that happening to you. Well, <laughs> people believe it, though. <laughs> yeah, straight away. He just had a heart attack. Uh, Show Waddy Waddy, Slade, Gary Glitter, Tommy Cooper, Ingleberg, Humperdinck, Ingleberg. Neil Sedaka. Neil Sedaka, <laughs> what a crew. What a crew. So F- Frank's in this hotel he's across the road from Bailey's nightclub. So he's there every night. They all come back and we stay and he's just partying every night. So his idea of settling down a bit was... That's a worse idea than sending him to Mallorca. Yeah, it's, Putting him up long... opposite Bailey's nightclub yeah. is just as stupid. It's, it's, you know, These clubs get what they deserve. They, they don't. I'm, in, I'm in Frank's camp on this one. One night at Bailey's nightclub, Worthington appeared on stage dressed in a wide-coloured, sparkling, glam rock, all-in-one bodysuit, unzipped to his midriff <laughs> with a gold bath chain necklace. Now, he was a huge Elvis Presley fan to sure. the point where everyone called him Elvis right. or the king. And on stage at Bailey's nightclub, he was backed by the Yorkshire band who went big called the Grumbleweeds and they were doing a week-long stint so they got him up and he sang... Elvis songs for hours on stage. Right. So people are just Before going. A game or. Yeah, or, you know, when, or he was just out all the time. When he used to sign autographs, he would offer to sign it either from him or from Elvis. Okay. <laughs> he was just obsessed. He actually received an award from the Elvis fan club of Great Britain for helping to keep the hero's name alive. Good on him. He often on away trips would grab the microphone on the bus and perform Are You Lonesome Tonight? <laughs> <laughs> complete with the talking part in the middle. <laughs> you know, there's the real schmaltzy bit. I wonder if you're lonesome tonight, which I actually, when researching this, put that song on because it had been a while since I'd listened to it. Now that's research. And it goes on for four long verses of Elvis just very, you know, Quite schmaltzy talking it. it's like half the song is just talking and frank would do that but he'd do it all the time it wasn't like he did it once he okay, would do it. Trip, uh, <laughs> here we go frank, frank. peter rudge who was the manager of the rolling stones and loved frank and so did the mick jagger and all that they're all friends with him uh he put him in touch with elvis's father vernon and uh they caught up and he gave worthington um one of the necklace elvis used to give to his close friends it was a lightning flash with a TCB logo, which stood for taking care of business, which is on Elvis' gravestone. Oh. And Frank treasured this like I was it was a holy say, That would be yeah, that highly was, yeah. Now, despite him being at a basically living in a nightclub, yes, he instantly makes an impact. Oh, that's Leicester good. And justifies his price Cop tag. that Liverpool. Yeah, he scores the winning goal against Blackburn Rovers to seal promotion back to the first division for Leicester. And they also secure the championship. So I like this story already because in the past when you've covered a footballer with wild tendencies, he's kind of sunk their teams. Yeah. But he's actually yeah. contributed and got two teams up to the top tier. Yeah. And that's this is good. So and, he's, and he's exciting to watch on the pitch. The things he does on the pitch are like kind of. Yeah, he's like, not an albatross around his team's neck. No, no. He's Great. Like, good on him. When they secure the championship a week after the promotion, Worthington's preparation for the game were a bit interrupted when he spent the night in prison before the game. 
Okay. He just was out drinking too much. <laughs> just in prison. For drinking, for oh. being drunk in public. And then he wakes up the next morning and just goes and plays the game. Fantastic. No one really says anything. So former teammate Alan Birchnell recounts that when he was at Leicester City with Worthington, he said the manager Jimmy Bloomfield and Elvis, as Frank was known, was magnificent but Elvis was a law unto himself. Most of the time he just left him to do what he wanted. These days players are out on the pitch well in advance of kickoff, but Frank would often report to the ground at 2 o'clock, then disappear for half an hour. More often than not, he'd be signing autographs in the car park and grabbing numbers of some admiring females. <laughs> I also remember times on the training ground when we would be getting a roasting from the manager while Frank would be at the other end following shots that one of the youth team players was setting up for him and the coach just let Frank do it. So I the coach that. just sort of got, yeah. it's not, Frank used to hand half-eaten meat pies to the fans. <laughs> From where? He'd be, eat, he'd be eating one before the game. Before the game. And he wouldn't have time to finish it, so he'd just hand it to a fan. Oh, that's, he's, a, he's a club man. Yeah. Imagine getting a half a meat pie from Frank. I know. That would be a high honour. an honour. Yeah. Thanks, Elvis. <laughs> you don't, don't know what you're going to catch, though. Uh, after the first season at Leicester was all over, he's gained promotion, he's been a star, he's paid a lot of money, not as much as Liverpool are offering, yeah. but but he's he's more than paid yeah, back yeah. The, the money. He's been a big success. Yeah. As part of his idea to calm down, he's now moved out of the, the hotel, Probably about the time. Holiday Inn. He decides that one way to chill out a bit over summer was to go on holiday with George Best. Oh, my God. To Mallorca. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? Honestly, that is a great call. This is part of his plan to settle down. This is his plan. So he's like, go on holiday with George Best, you know. Jesus. So it should have he... been a travel warning <laughs> for him at Mallorca. Those two. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Well, uh, he meets over there uh, Miss Sweden, uh, Brigetta Ergelman, <laughs> and by the time they return from Mallorca, she's pregnant. With his with his baby, oh, and soon go. they're engaged. Uh, so that's, I'll let you that's, put bets on and how well you think the marriage is going to go. It's <laughs> Mallorca. I might go myself. So he's Miss Great Britain, yeah, and Miss Sweden, and now Miss Sweden, both in Mallorca. Yeah, two separate trips. Two separate trips. And now, but he's Can got Miss Sweden with, pregnant. With Miss Sweden, when he got her pregnant, was it Mile High Club? Was it? Yeah, no, was it I on think the it way was, over there. I think it was in the. I think we met her in Mallorca. And where was George one. Best while this was happening? I think George was running around. We're going to do We're George pushing Best his bottom up and time. down. <laughs> <laughs> they're engaged, and in 1973, they're married. And Frank says he's going to make a real attempt of marriage life. Calm down. He's going to calm down. He says, his son Frank Jr. is born. Oh, there you go. And he announces to the press that he would teach young Frank all the tricks to be the greatest Casanova of all time. I thought we were going to say soccer player. I'd teach him how to really. Uh, and nah. everyone says that's it's a newborn baby, mate. You don't need to look say at my, Look at my little ladies, man. <laughs> yeah. So Frank's marriage doesn't go well. Oh. Um, almost straight away he tells the story of he scored a nice one at Chelsea once in a game we lost. But that's not what I remember from that day. After the game, guess who I got a strong connection with? Raquel Welsh. <laughs> Raquel Welsh. Okay. Who's like the biggest sex star of the 60s oh, she and was, 70s. She was a, a straight out. Yeah, bombshell. Uh, bombshell. Yeah. He said, she spotted me in the players' lounge and came over. I took her out later to a nightclub. She had a blue tight-fitting leather suit on. I had quite a lot of hair and was a lot younger then. 
I was wearing some wild clothes and she kissed me on the dance floor. Happily, I didn't have my mustache at the time. <laughs> so this is while he's married. On another time on a flight to Los Angeles, he slipped away to the laboratory to enroll in the Mile High Club with a French woman who just happened to be sitting on his row, right? This is while he's married. He had known her barely 20 minutes and her husband was asleep in the next seat. <laughs> Now, this is up there with the Hunt story. In the ambulance, the James Hunt, yeah. He's James Hunter's woman in an ambulance while while her husband husband stands out the front. Yeah. Unaware. Unaware. So, I mean, he obviously had something that he was obviously... He's in open class. Yeah. People, women were very interested. He's got that secret, that superpower. Yeah. That only a few of us have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's the polar opposite of me. He also had an affair with uh, Miss World, so he's done. Oh, he's, he's gone Miss Miss Britain, <laughs> Miss Sweden. This is fantastic. So he also had an affair with uh, a Miss World, Mary Staven, who was a Swedish actress, model, and beauty queen. She'd won in 1977. She appeared in the James Bond films Octopussy as one of the Octopussy girls. Wow. And then had a bigger role in A View to a Kill in 1985. Later on, she went on to have that. No, I'm going to go and take you would, you would out know it. Yeah, you would know her if you saw she, it. Yeah. She would go on to date after Frank George Best. <laughs> he also had another affair with Miss Barbados. <laughs> <laughs> This is incredible. It's Lindy like Field. She was the one that came out in 1986 and claimed to have an affair with Ian Botham and okay. said she broke the bed when she was with Ian Botham, which Ian Botham came out and denied. Did he now? He's now admitted to other affairs, so there's kind of question about whether she was. Botham's wife said, oh, it was complete nonsense, but she, his wife admits she, she knows about other affairs. Yeah, who knows what's going on there? I don't know how to I'm inclined to believe one. it. Um, he also had an affair with a model called Mandy Rice Davies. Now, I know that name. So she so was part of the Profumo affair. affair. So she was a hottie too, right? Yeah, so she was this model and she was famous due to the Profumo affair, which was a major scandal in England. I know you know about this for those that know. I mean, it involved John Profumo, who's the 46-year-old Secretary of State for War in Harold Macmillan's Conservative government. And he had an extramarital affair with the 19-year-old model called Christine Keeler beginning yeah. in 1961. Now, Profumo denied the affair in the House of Commons. He yes. got up and said, I have not had an affair. A bit like Bill Clinton. Yeah. I did not, I, have, I sexual did not have sexual relations with that woman. He did the same and denied it in Parliament. Weeks later, a police investigation proved that he had lied. Hmm. Now, that scandal damaged the whole Macmillan government. They all had to resign. Macmillan resigned as Prime Minister not long afterwards, citing ill health. And then the Conservative government lost at the 1964 general election. So it's a huge scandal. Now, Mandy Rice David was involved because she was friends with Christine Keeler. And there was a trial that was connected to the scandal because it was, I won't go into it all, but there's a bunch of other things happening on at the time. And in court, it had come out that she'd had an affair or had claimed to with Lord Astor, another Conservative politician. Mm. Lord Astor's lawyer, and this is a famous thing in England, was in court and said, you know Lord Astor has denied this affair or even ever met with you. And she just calmly went leant back and said, well, he would, wouldn't he? <laughs> and this became a famous line and yeah. it's known as one of the greatest fails of cross-examination because the lawyer's yeah. getting all like, he's the, and she yeah. just said, well, he would, wouldn't he? And everyone went, I totally believe her. <laughs> so Frank hooks up with her as well. This is all while he's in his first marriage. Imagine if Frank got called for evidence. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. 
So Frank said of his days at Leicester, in my Leicester days, it wasn't a night out unless you were in at six in the morning after a visit to the Playboy Club. There you go. His marriage gets so bad that Leicester pays for him to move out of the family home and into a hotel. (laughs) So this was like they knew and they were like... Despite all this going on, though, yes. him out every night drinking. He's playing he's, good footy. Yeah, he scored 72 goals in 210 games in his five years at the club, becomes an absolute star. He won the golden boot for the most goals in the first division in 78-79. Fantastic. So, well done. Uh, on the backdrop of all this, he's going well. The problem was his reputation didn't help his chances at international level because early on in England, the manager during his early time was Alf Ramsey, who'd, who'd won for England the 1966 World Cup. He didn't like flamboyant players. He wanted team players. He didn't like much of a whiff of someone who didn't stick to the team rules and showed too much flair out there. That's right? annoying. So he early on called Frank up to the under-23 squad at the last minute and Frank meets him in cowboy boots, leather pants, <laughs> a red silk floral shirt and a lime velvet green jacket. <laughs> Frank, couldn't you have just reined it in <laughs> for the meeting? Ramsey never trusted him again, just off this. Yeah. Frank later admitted he was the first man in Britain to own a tank top. <laughs> but that alone on your <laughs> Wikipedia page. Yeah. Just just that. that. And he said, I suppose I've always been a bit of a peacock. Joe Mercer, when Ramsey quit as manager, Frank thought, well, maybe I'll get a chance now. And the caretaker manager while they looked for a new manager was a guy called Joe Mercer. He took over and he played Frank for six of his seven games in charge. He even caught Frank sneaking a girl into his hotel room after a game, but he was willing to look the other way given how good he was. But then a guy called Don Ravie, who was a huge manager at Leeds and made them a powerhouse, he only played Frank for a total of 87 minutes across his first two matches before giving up on him. He caught Frank going out when he was told him not to. And Don was a real hard ass. Stickler for the rules. He didn't like people that yeah. went out. He liked his players to hang around and play bingo with him. That's what he used to sort of insist on. So it was like oh. no one, everyone's a robot, no one mucks around, no one yeah, goes out. these are the rules. He did, even if you were allowed to go out, he didn't want you to go out, right? It was that sort of thing. Frank had slipped out the hotel through a side door after he'd been told not to go out with a few other England players and they visited a casino and they were gambling match. They had a marathon card game. It went until 9am in the morning after they'd beaten Bulgaria. Newcastle United striker Malcolm McDonald ended up losing £1,200 to Frank. This is in the 70s. (laughs) Frank, though, while the others were all a bit nervous, Frank was used to this living on the edge. He he didn't get it. He said once when he was with England, on one trip to Spain I was driving a car with three other players and ended up crashing it and almost going off the end of a cliff. When we walked back the next day, there was the car balancing on the edge of the cliff with a big drop beneath. Oh, boy. At another cocktail party on England duty, he got so drunk that Kevin Keegan had to drag him by the ankles back to his hotel room. Yeah, yeah, by his ankles. He had no shin pads on. Yeah, no. So Frank ends up, he doesn't get selected anymore. So he ends up over his career, despite being one of the best players in the country, only playing for England eight times. His car's marked at his the top. His car's marked. All, you, you know, we'll put up with it. And there was a few players like him, like Stan Bowles and a bunch of others who we'll talk about some of them in the future. But there was this group of the 70s of these, George Best was sort of the yes. first. He played, it was North Ireland. But yeah. these English players who were all mavericks, all drinkers, womanizers, but also stars 
in a flamboyant sense on the pitch. Um, no. And Ramsey and, and Dom would God, not pick annoying. them. And they some people say that's what kept England from winning. From winning. Them. Yeah, oh, because yes. they wouldn't pick them. Joe Mercer, who'd been England's caretaker manager, said of Frank, he's one of the best centre forwards of all time and he's a lovely man. You can build teams around him. But Ravi and Ramsey never fancied him. I just couldn't understand it. In 1977, Leicester finally have enough for Frank. Yeah. He has a bit of a falling out. He's he's not happy with him, then I open him. So he makes the move to Bolton Wanderers. Ian Graves, who's been his manager, was his manager at Huddersfield and had taken over, mm. who had identified his Bolton. talent. He's now at Bolton. So he says, I'd love to have you. He had a good core squad, but he thought, I need to get up to promotion. They just missed out on promotion. Where's the next factor? I need someone like Frank. So he gets him for a record fee, comes across. Frank loves being with Greaves and says he he came out and said he improved my focus and reduced my excesses because Frank's 30 at this point. So he's calming down. He says, I admit I used to get about a bit, but I'm quieter these days, he said. Instead of going out seven nights a week, I keep it to six. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Frank's marriage is officially over at about this time, so he's suddenly... Absolutely free to do sure. whatever he wants. He's back. He, he works out for Bolton. He, he helps get them into the first division. Again, um, and he's he be- doing everything right. He becomes a Bolton legend after scoring four goals against Manchester United. Um, they beat them twice in the 78-79 season. And this is where he has the most memorable moment of his career in April 1979 against Ipswich Town. One of the greatest goals ever scored in English soccer. You can go onto YouTube and just type Frank Worthington goal. I will. There's a long throw into the penalty box and it lands and Frank manages to bobble it and control it, but he's running with his back away from goal. He's on the edge of the penalty. So I'll try and describe it, but really you have to go watch it. Behind him, right on his back, all facing away from goal, is Terry Butcher, who captained England. So he had this great defence against him. Frank juggles it with his head, then he slides his left foot and the defender's all behind him, but then he chips it over his head and over the defenders, and spins, yeah, yeah, yeah. gets the ball and volleys it from the edge of the penalty box into the bottom corner. Boom, and the crowd like goes nuts. Frank says later, wasn't even my best goal I've ever scored because <laughs> not everything was filmed those days, right? Yeah, yeah. It gets replayed for us all the time, right? Yes. And if you YouTube it, you'll see what I mean. Well, I it will. just showed you how good he was. I'll YouTube that goal. And Miss Sweden, <laughs> Miss <laughs> Jamaica. The place goes nuts. He then points to the stand behind the goal and says to uh, Terry Butcher, who ends up England captain, you should have gone up there into the stands. You'd have a better view. <laughs> On one's pre-season tour of Germany, even though you go along with Greaves, Greaves became so weary of the Elvis hits blaring away for nine hours nonstop on the team bus that he tore the cassette out of the player and threw the tape out the window. (laughs) Frank doesn't speak to him for the rest of the trip. Like the whole, not just the bus trip, the whole rest of the island. Yeah, very very quiet trip in the bus. Greaves loves him though and describes him as the working man's George Best. As the 70s come to end, Frank sort of enters the journeyman era of his career. He moves around a lot. He's, yeah. he's getting, he's like he's well over 30 at this point. Um, he went on a short loan to the Philadelphia Fury in the North American Soccer League and because the team's ownership group were Rick Wakeman, who was the keyboarder <laughs> in Yes, Peter Frampton, Stop. Mike, Mick Jagger and Paul Simon. So Mick Jagger and but they all love him. So they go, come Let's and play just for us. He was a bit worried because just before he arrives, the general manager resigns due to disagreement with his ownership 
group and they replace him with a theatre manager and concept promoter. <laughs> so they only last two years as a team. Yeah, so I'll Frank is there so. for about six months and I, he just boozes the whole time with him. Yeah. His next stop's Birmingham City. He re- went off the rails here a lot. He started smoking cannabis and snorting cocaine, which he said was a mistake, and he kind of stops that and goes back to booze after this. But he does go bankrupt um, because he couldn't pay his tax bills. And the reason was he'd bought a red Ford Mustang and was drinking champagne every breakfast and just spending in the same much. He once had four court appearances for driving offences within a single calendar year, including doing a U-turn on a motorway in a bright red Ford Mustang. <laughs> Right. He goes to Sunderland where he would show up to training ground dressed as the king for a year. <laughs> he then goes to Southampton. The night before one of the important games, he's caught in the hotel room with two female Southampton supporters. He tells the manager they were just having a quiet cup of tea. The manager doesn't bite and says, your Southampton career is over, make your own way home. Um, he then goes to Manchester United on their postseason tour of Australia and plays three times with them despite technically being a Southampton player. <laughs> he just goes for the fun. Yeah. Then in 984, Brighton, Hove, Albion, FC, pick him up and they have him for a one-year contract. He's 35. Yep. He's impressive even at 35. They're a low level, but he, he scores the winner on his home debut. He's doing all this sort of stuff, so they all think he's quite good. But he didn't exactly come down. He did an interview for Shoot Magazine. Which is a big oh, I remember Shoot movie. Magazine. I used, to, I used to subscribe to that every week. Yeah, so you know those player interviews where they write the question and then print yeah, the answer, yeah. right? So they said to him, uh, list your previous clubs, and he said the Playboy and the Tramp, which are nightclubs. <laughs> he described his hobby as bird watching. <laughs> he said his most difficult opponent was a toss-up between the tax man and my ex-missus. <laughs> the old interview goes on like this. The following week, Shoot published a letter from a Mrs. Helen... Newman from Crew, who said, I'm writing to complain about the drivel written by Frank Worthington. My son is football mad and pays out 18p a week for shoot. He loves finding out about players, but all he found out about Worthington is he must be a raving lunatic. I'm surprised <laughs> he's printed such rubbish. In Brighton, though, Frank was doing okay on the pitch, but he was having a lot of fun off the pitch. Yeah. He was, he, they said if you were in any nightclub on a Saturday night, there would be Worthington against the bar with a couple of women with him. He once goes to Sweden as well okay. for it to a club and he hooked up with a Swedish woman, goes home with her and then he says the next morning she'd left to go to work and her mum came in and woke him up with a cup of tea and he ends up sleeping nah. <laughs> Frank. He later said, there's one story about I mentioned sweet seduce a Swedish girl and her mother. They were great days. <laughs> He's not really, you know, this is like cancel culture now, but at the time no one even bat an eyelid. At Brighton, supporters used to, he was still at Brighton at this time, they used to say that they'd see him in the supermarket stocking up with essentials, a trolley full of beer with a single packet of bacon on top. <laughs> <laughs> His teammate, uh, Hans Cray, who... Uh, was Swedish but played at Brighton, said he knew everyone in the music world. Every now and then he'd phone me and say something like, Hans, you want to come over for a glass of wine? Jagger is here as well. He said, so I was quite shaky and trembling, sitting as a young player, 24 years old, between Frank Worthington and Mick Jagger, there at his place in Hove. 
Rob Stewart was at the Brighton Centre and we were there before the concert and Rob was, ah, Frank, how are you? And with Sting, it was the same. <laughs> yes. I love it. So he was doing all this sort of stuff. He still did quite well. He finished second in the scoring at 35 for Brighton, um, but they just missed out by two points of getting back into the top flight. Yeah. So he almost got a fourth club up into the sure. top flight. But still it was a really good job. After this... Brighton want him, but Tranmere Rovers offer him a player-manager role. So he goes there. They go broke, no fault of his. In 1986, he meets a girl, Carol Dwyer, who's the daughter of Noel Dwyer, who's an Irish international goalkeeper. She was a former page three girl, and she settles him down. He said, I used to be out all hours boozing, but these days it's the case. He settled down with the page three girl. Yeah, and and he truly does. Settle he down. Yeah. yeah. He then goes on and when the management role falls over at Tranmere, he then goes on and plays for Miabi AIF, which is in Sweden, Tampa Bay Rowdies, Leeds United, Preston North End, <laughs> Stockport County, Cape Town Spurs in South Africa, Chorley, Staley Bridge Celtic, Galway United, Weymouth, oh. Radcliffe Borough, uh, Geisley, Hinkley Town, uh, Semis Bay and Halifax Town before... Jeez. He retires at 45 wow. uh, for ha- at Halifax Towns Reserves. He's 45. He's played 22 consecutive league seasons from 966 to 87. He scored 266 goals in 882 games across the board. In retirement in 2016, his daughter quotes on Facebook that he has Alzheimer's disease. He issues a statement the following day denying that he has it. <laughs> But I think he did. A lot he of his did. other later, he was in denial. A lot of the old teammates say he goes a bit missing. It's a bit sad that. to see him in the later years. Still, he had a good run. He had a I great mean, run. This is it's a know, long. I would take it like you he, take this life. The thing that having done all that to yeah. not be able to remember it is a oh, bit that's of a, like a that's oh, like the God. ultimate. Yeah, you know, would you like to have a life like this, but you can't remember it? Yes, I, I, I was still there it. when it happened. Yeah. He battled illness and he finally passed away on March 22nd, 2021, and he was 67 years old. His wife, Carol, said, Frank brought joy to so many people throughout his career and in his private life. He will be greatly missed by everyone who loved him so much. Now, the only silverware he ever picked up in this long career was the Division Two title with Huddersfield Town. Yep. But in much earlier interview, Frank had told the Mirror, sometimes my life being so full that it's left me physically and mentally exhausted, but if I should drop down dead this minute, no one can say I haven't squeezed the maximum from my life. I have no regrets about anything. He was once asked to sum up his career. Frank said, you know that Kylie Minogue song, I Should Be So Lucky, Lucky, Lucky? I adore little Kylie. She is fabulous. Uh, I'm waiting for you to say he <laughs> spent a weekend with Kylie. No. And that's the Frank Worthington story. I love it because, again, I always get trepidatious when you – tell these stories of wild men behaving badly off the pitch yeah. or you know, to excessively because it usually impacts badly on teams or he leaves a trail yeah. of disaster, but it didn't. He left a bit of a trail but not, uh, not, not anything no, that was no, like. No more than any normal man. I think his mistake was to get married the first time. Sure. It was one of those guys you just go, it was this Sweden. is the way you are, <laughs> don't fight don't. it. It's not, for, it's not for everyone. I'm going to go and Google Frank. 
Where oh, Google is goal, and uh, if yeah. you Google some photos, I've been on the Discord for members. We'll put up on um, the chat room. We'll put up a bunch of photos because he it is some great seventies fashion. He's rocking all the way. He's through up it. there in my favourite episodes, <laughs> my gallery of rogues. Thank you again, Titus O'Reilly. If you're interested in more of Mick and I talking complete and utter nonsense, we have the Bizarre Plus Members Program. If you love Sports Bazaar, this gives you an extra weekly bonus podcast on top of the one you get anyway. You get access to all those previous bonus podcasts as well. You get a newsletter every fortnight. You get access to the chat room. You get the ability to vote on future episodes as well. And importantly, you get early access to any live shows we're doing. You get that before everyone else. If you're interested, the link is in the show notes.